Wall Church. We serve a God that does not fail. He is our firm foundation, our rock that we can stand upon. Come on, would you tell the person next to you, Jesus won't fail. Amen, amen. It is good to be with you this morning, church. It's always great to be in a place where God's presence is active, amen. Amen, amen. It's good to be with you. This morning, I know uh, we're getting into the season. September is coming. That means that kids and students, they're getting ready to go back to school, which I know a lot of parents are probably really excited about. I know you love your kids, but the summer's a lot with them with you all the time. They're heading back. They're getting ready. It reminds me of back in the day uh, when I was in school. It was a good time back in elementary school. I know looking at me, it's easy to tell this. I was really popular in elementary school. I was. The reason for that is I was so well liked by the students and by the teachers. Get this, my second grade teacher, she liked me so much at the end of the school year, she came to me and came to my parents and said, we love you so much, we want you to come back again next year. So I was so loved in second grade by my teacher that she said, I want you back for next year. And so, obviously, it's really easy to be popular in elementary school when you're the oldest kid. I was still probably the shortest, but being the oldest is all I needed. And so as you get older, you know, when you watch movies, right, it's always high school where it's like you got the popular kids, right? You fall in kind of these roles. But a lot of times, like for us, it was in middle school when, when those roles would kind of settle in because elementary school you've got maybe three four two whatever it is and then middle school right you come together everybody comes together for the first time it's going to be like this for the next six years through high school this pecking order kind of develops you guys know what I'm talking about and so everybody kind of has this reputation sometimes fair sometimes unfair and there was this kid uh, I'll say his name was Joe because Joe's a really basic name but I'll say, Joe, he was on the popular side of things. So stuff worked out really well for him in seventh grade that he was a popular kid. And so he had this reputation. So a lot of times for people like myself or other people that are not a part of that group, even though it's weird that they're called the popular kids, a lot of times people don't like them. Like everybody knows who they are, but you don't really usually like them because of oh, the popular kids. And so this kind of goes, you know, they're better looking than everybody else. They're dating all the right people, all these things. So he has this kind of reputation. I had never met him, never talked to him. But I kind of was like, oh, yeah, he's a bad guy. He just, you know, talking to all these girls, and he thinks he's better than everybody else. Right? Like, being part of that group, he kind of has this, this reputation. I never talked to him, never met him. I knew who he was. I was like, this guy, he's not probably a nice guy. He's not worthy, right? He's not deserving of being a popular kid. Right? Like someone like me. I'm, I deserve it. I spent two years in second grade. <laughs> but it's easy to kind of look at other people sometimes and we think, well, they haven't earned this or they don't deserve this, right? We've all done it, unless you're more holy than I am, maybe you haven't. But if we've been, we've been walking through Acts, what we're seeing is Jesus is breaking these barriers. Even though he's in heaven, everything that he taught, everything that he did, the disciples, a lot we're seeing through Peter, He's breaking these barriers. And so what's going to happen this morning in Acts 10, we're going to see the gospel spread to people 
that maybe weren't so worthy of it and weren't as deserving as, say, Peter and, and the Jewish people. We're going to see the gospel spread to the Gentiles. So that's what we're going to talk about. We'll be in Acts 10, verses 30 through 48. And I'll get back to my friend Joe uh, in a little bit. I mean, he's not my friend because I didn't like him. But we'll get back to him a little bit later. Here's what it says. It says, Cornelius, again, Pastor set this up last week, Cornelius, who's a Gentile, he kind of has this vision from God to seek out Peter so that Peter can share something important with them. So that's where we're picking up. So he's talking to Peter. He says, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So this is just setting up what we're about to go into. Cornelius sends for Peter, the disciple. He says, somebody came to me in my prayer life. He doesn't say necessarily who that is. He maybe isn't even sure, but he says, I know that I needed to seek you out, so you can tell me something. So here's the important part is what Peter's about to say is coming directly from God, right? That Cornelius has this vision from God, that's who we kind of can defer who this is from, that Peter is going to come and share something which we know as the good news. But Cornelius isn't aware of that yet. So God, he's revealing himself through what Peter is going to say to the people. God reveals himself in a lot of ways. One of those ways is through his people. One of those ways, I don't know if you've ever been camping or just looked up at night and the stars are out, and you're like, my goodness, that's beautiful. That's a way that God can reveal himself to you. It doesn't seem like it, but you got to remember who created everything in the world. That would be God. And so when you see beautiful things throughout the world, that's a way that God can be speaking to you. And so we see this happening. So this is important. What Peter's going to say is important which means Cornelius needs to pay attention, and that means we should probably pay attention too. What do you all think? So here's what happens. The next two verses say this. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So partiality is a fancy word for favoritism. What he's saying is God does not show favoritism amongst his people. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was looking at Joe being the popular kid, it seemed like, are we sure that God doesn't show favoritism? Because it seems like it. But what happens is, what makes this really, really important is you got to remember that Peter is Jewish. He grew up that way. He's a disciple. And so he grew up like all the other Jewish people in Israel, thinking that they were the best of the best. Nobody was like the Jews in Israel. Nobody else was as good as them. God didn't love other people like he did them. They were the best. And Peter believed that too, probably for a lot of his life. And so this is a really significant thing for Peter to say, hey, God does not show favoritism. The reason it's significant is he's talking to Gentiles. Now, last time I was up here, the gospel spread to the Samaritans, and they're kind of half Jewish. So we've got like the Jews, the Israelites, Peter, and then we've got, okay, the gospel spread to the Samaritans, which was kind of a surprise. They're like, these kind of half-Jews? Okay, that's cool, God. Now we're talking about Gentiles, and Gentiles do not have a lick of Jewishness in them. Nothing. Not a, not a piece of it. Now, part of my family tradition is from the Middle East, so I'm probably at least like 5% Jewish, which isn't very much, but it counts for something. 
but they're not Jewish at all. They are not God's people. Their traditions, their background, their cultures, nothing like the Jewish people. So Peter, to start like this, we know that that's from God because that's breaking down a huge barrier for the Gentiles. Because what we got to understand, the biggest barrier to people not coming to Christ is it's not Jesus, it's us. It's Christians. We get in the way. Jesus doesn't get in the way. His message is life-giving. It's captivating. It's for everyone. But sometimes we don't really treat everybody like that. We don't. I think we believe it may be deep down, but sometimes that doesn't always come out the right way. Bringing me back to the good old days of high school, uh, I was in band class one morning, because like I said, I was popular. And so I was in band class, and uh, there was a friend there. I won't even say his name. But he uh, kind of came from kind of a more of a, an Indian, kind of a Hindu background. And I'm really young and unfortunately not super mature in my faith. Uh, luckily, my older sister was there, uh, and she is and was. But we kind of got into this talk about faith, and he was like, yeah, you know, I don't know how it came up, but I was like, yeah, you know, I believe in Jesus, go to church, all the thing, it's awesome, he's the best. And he was like, well, I don't, I don't really get into religion, like, I don't really care, like, my family's this background, but it doesn't matter to me. And my response was really blunt and not very good. All it was was like, well, that doesn't make any sense, that's dumb. Like, that's dumb to not believe in God. Do you think that's a good way to win people to Jesus? <laughs> Do you think he was like, oh, my gosh, you're right. I'm coming to church <laughs> on Sunday. Probably not. That's a really, and my sister kind of comes up and, like, pulls me aside and, you know, fixes things for me. She's like, you can't say that to people. It's like, what do you mean I can't say that to people? It's true. She's like, it doesn't matter. That's not how we win people to Jesus. That's not a reflection of him. Just showing up at church and worshiping and doing those things is great, but if you're not reflecting Jesus, we're not really being a testimony to what he's done in our lives. I had to learn that. I think that's always a process through our lives because it can be easy in some ways and hard in others. Many of you laughed because maybe you have your own example, but sometimes we can do this in more like maybe petty is the right word, not as obvious ways, but it's like, you know, like Jonah, like God called me to people, but not those people. Like call me to anybody but that person because I don't want to do that. And so I had a lot to learn, but in the end, right, we know because, assuming if you're in here, you're probably not Jewish, you don't have to be Jewish to accept God, to accept Jesus. Jesus came for everybody. That's good news, isn't it? And so it goes on to say this. Peter continues and says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So it says all are welcome to the peace in Jesus Christ. That can be kind of translated into salvation. Again, we're aware of that. We know that. But he's telling it to somebody who really wasn't. What we find out is Cornelius is actually aware of Jesus. So Cornelius is aware of this Jesus of Nazareth, aware of what he did, but probably because of the Jewish people and because of all the history, Cornelius, again, probably didn't think that Jesus was doing that for them. He probably saw what this Jesus was doing and said, wow, that's great for those people, but that doesn't really relate to us. And turns out, as Peter says, no, it does. So that's good news for him. And as it goes on, they go through a story. Jesus is Lord of all. He gets baptized by John, and the Holy Spirit falls on him and anoints him with power. 
It says that God was with him, which you don't want to take as a single statement because you don't, it almost feels like, well, does that mean that God is better than Jesus? No. Again, we read it in context. Peter said at the beginning that Jesus is Lord of all. Amen. So he goes on to say this. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all those people, but to those who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So like many of us are familiar with Jesus, he goes to the cross, he sacrifices his life. In here, Peter gives the blame to the Jewish people, so he's talking about his own people. Because it would have been easy if you were a Jewish person at this time to try to blame the Romans. Well, it was the Romans that actually tied him up and killed him. But the reason that he went to the cross was because the Jews rejected him as Messiah. Now again, big picture, right? Jesus went to the cross because he was doing God's will, and that was always what he was going to do. Because there are stories in the Bible where the people see that he's the savior of the world, who do accept him as Messiah, and they try to make him Messiah right there. You all know that? There are stories, it, and it's briefly in there because it said Jesus would kind of disappear because he's Jesus, so he has the ability to do that. But they were literally like, this is the Messiah, let's make him king, let's take over and destroy Rome. And that probably sounded good to Jesus, better than getting whipped, beaten, and nailed to a cross. But he knew what God's will was for his life. He knew his father's will, and so he would kind of just disappear. And so we know this happens. He says, Jesus, of course, is the atonement sacrifice for the world. As we know, or if you didn't know in the Old Testament, a lot of times you would sacrifice an animal on behalf of your sin. You would go to the priest, and you would tell them, and they would sacrifice this animal. It would be an atonement, right? The animal would take your place. For the sin that you did. Now Jesus comes to break that system because Jesus' blood is more powerful than an animal's. And so his sacrifice was once for everyone. Right? That's the good news of the gospel. So he's communicating these things to Cornelius. He says it was the witnesses that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection. He's talking, of course, about the disciples because they were the ones who were with Jesus at the beginning of his ministry and all the way through. They were the ones, like Peter, right, who were going to go and they were going to spread the gospel to everyone. In that moment, everyone has really come full circle here with the Gentiles. So he says, all these witnesses to his life before and after his resurrection, the disciples, they spread the gospel. He's referring to, he also kind of refers to eschatology. Somebody say eschatology. It's the fancy word for the end times. Somebody say end times. Somebody say I'm scared. You don't have to be scared. It's all right. It's a little scary. But at some point, Jesus is going to come back again, and then what's going to happen is how they were trying to come and make him king of everything. Well, this time he's going to come back and be king of everything. It's going to be a great moment for the church. It's going to be a great moment for you if you're a follower of Jesus. He's not coming back to go to the cross again. He's coming to be the king of everything. And so then, of course, we learn something else, or we know something else about Jesus. We understand Jesus as the Savior of the world, right? We've been talking about that all morning. But we also, I know people don't like this word, but Jesus is the judge of the world. I know we don't like judge. We don't like people judging us. Some people have a tattoo that says only God can judge me, and they still don't like God judging them either. But here's what that means. 
When you're saying judge, the only person that can give you forgiveness that lasts through eternity is Jesus. So when we're talking about the ultimate judge, it's not Jesus standing up on his throne and being like, no, 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 no. It's like if you're following him, he's offering you his forgiveness. So judge, you don't have to be afraid of that word because as a follower of Jesus, he's the one who's offered you forgiveness. Right? That's why we know as Christians what separates us from every other religion ever to exist is Jesus. It's Jesus being the ultimate savior, the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate judge of the world. That's what makes us different than everybody else. If that is not a central part of the religion, then that means it's not true. Because that's who Jesus is. He wasn't just a good dude. He wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a talented, popular guy. He was the son of God, the savior of the world, the judge of the world. But the good news is that he can offer you forgiveness that nobody else can. And he does so willingly and freely. That's, the, that's always the cool thing about Jesus when you think about the cross, right? He knew that they were coming to get him. He knew that Judas was coming to kiss him on the cheek so they could take him away. And he didn't run from it. He just stood there, prayed, and waited for them to come. It was difficult. He wasn't super, like, thrilled, right? If you knew somebody was coming to kill you, you wouldn't be like, oh, well, that's okay. Like, he wasn't super thrilled about it. But, again, his love for you was enough that he was going to take on that sacrifice. And I don't know. It's, it's hard to feel worthy of that. But for some way, some reason, Jesus says that we are. So it goes on to say this. Because now that he's kind of spread the good news... What we're going to see is a third account of the Holy Spirit falling on a group of people. Here's what it says. It says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Even the author said even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. So the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. If there wasn't enough proof that they are as equal to anybody else, this is it. This is now the third time. A lot of times we, we look at Acts 2, the first time the Holy Spirit fell. It's not the only time it happens. It happened a few chapters ago with the Samaritans, right? I told you those half-Jews. It was kind of like, whoa, the Holy Spirit fell on them. Peter and John weren't even there. They actually came to see what was going on. They were like, no way. Maybe what Jesus was saying was true. Maybe... The Holy Spirit is for everybody. So they show up, and now this time Peter knows, he understands, and the Holy Spirit even falls on these Gentiles, right? The unpopular Gentiles, the people that were as far away from God as anybody could be, the people that were held back in second grade, Jesus came for the Gentiles. And the way that the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles is the same that we see in the other two accounts. Notice it does, it does say even on the Gentiles, but it doesn't say like, well, half of the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles or like not as powerful as the Jews and not as powerful as the Samaritans, but like Holy Spirit came as well. It's the exact same account as the other two. That's good news. And so the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. Peter mentions this group called the circumcised. That's referring to Jewish people that were with Peter. Circumcision is a physical sign of Israel's covenant community. Right? We, we do things like communion together, water baptism. It's the same idea. It's these physical signs. It's not how we gain salvation, but after we are saved, it's these physical declarations that we talk about being in a community. Right. So when we think of our church community, when we did water baptism a few weeks ago, it's not that those people who were baptized now are just entering, and they already were, but they're having this public dec declaration, this physical sign of entering into the community. So those things are important. 
And then Peter closes with this. He says, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So again, we just talked about water baptism. So they get baptized in water. Again, it's that extra step, that accepting and believing of Jesus as Lord of all, of asking forgiveness and receiving forgiveness of sin and identifying with the community of believers. So we see all of these things kind of come together as Peter has now spread the gospel to the Gentiles. It's an important thing. And here's something important as well, because we see these themes with Jesus, right? When you accept Jesus, you find yourself kind of free of sin, right? You're, you're kind of drawn into a unity with other believers, or we're supposed to be. So that's what's happening here between the Jewish people and the Gentiles, people who, again, did not like each other, did not get along. They were rivals, all of these things. Now it's like, okay, Holy Spirit comes down. We're all on the level playing field. We are all Christ followers. We all now have one goal, one mission in mind. There's a unity there that has to be there. And then there's, a, there's an expectation of power as well, that it's not only Peter who can spread the gospel, but others. We're going to find out in a couple of chapters somebody named Paul is going to show up, and he's really going to dominate the rest of Acts, somebody who you wouldn't have thought was worthy of being used by God in the way that he's going to be used. And we start to see this come to life to where we know the disciples are going about and they're talking about Jesus and they're spreading the word and we're going to see all these non-disciples do the same thing. We can probably see that Cornelius, this guy who was kind of at the charge of the Gentiles, probably did the same thing to continue to spread the word to other Gentiles. So like I said before, this is the third time that the Holy Spirit has fallen in the book of Acts. First time was in Acts 2. We see that fall on the disciples. They were in the upper room. They were praying. They were going after God. That was expected. It was like, finally, the Holy Spirit is here, what Jesus has promised. Second time was when it happened to the Samaritans. Not super as likely, not super as expected, but something that happens, and then we see this unity and this bond together. And then, of course, the third time is what we just talked about. It's it's. It's talked about briefly because it's kind of expected when you're reading this. Yep, it's, it's the same as the other two instances. So the Holy Spirit falls a third time now on the Gentiles. And so we can pick up these great themes and an understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. Because I think for some of us, maybe, that, that can be a little bit confusing and difficult. When we talk about that, I mean, have I been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Am I lacking something? What does that mean? Do I speak in tongues? Do I don't? It's something that a lot of people can kind of fear. It can be a little bit scary. Like, I don't know what that's about and what's going on. And we learned something really important in these three accounts. There's a couple of things when we talk about baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues that all three of these circumstances brought. In all three of these circumstances, we see unity being brought, and then we see a community coming together, and we see a power that is filled through the Holy Spirit, that that's what speaking in tongues or being baptized in the Holy Spirit brings about. It's not all these like weird things or now I can do whatever I want or it's kind of like a, sometimes we can see it as like a badge in our Christian life. But what it's bringing about is this unity, this welcoming into this community between people and it's bringing a power that only the Holy Spirit can bring. What it doesn't mean or what it's not is like it's only for these people and only for others. It's only for the best of the best. Like my 
friend Joe in middle school, or it's only for people that are pastors or people that are, are speaking the gospel everywhere, that we find that baptism of the Holy Spirit, that speaking in tongues, is for everyone. It's for everyone that follows Jesus. And we see that through these people who spent their entire lives not following Jesus, the gospel spread to them, and then now all of a the sudden, they've got the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if you're in here today and your story might be similar to mine at some point where maybe you're still seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're really unsure about what that is or what that means or you've heard different things or experienced different things or been told different things. What's happening is when the Holy Spirit falls, levels the playing field. It's not, well, this person gets it because they're better than the other. It's not anything like that. It's so that we can have a unity amongst ourselves, have community with each other. And then have that power that only the Holy Spirit can bring so that we can tell other people about Jesus. Speaking in tongues is for the nations. Speaking in tongues is for everybody. That's where that theology, our belief comes from. We didn't just make it up because it sounds good. We find that here in the gospel in all three accounts. It's simple. It's not something you have to be in fear of or feel like, man, I just don't know. Maybe God's just holding out on me. If you're seeking those things in your life, the Holy Spirit's going to move in your life. The Holy Spirit will come and baptize you. If you're seeking unity, if you're seeking community, if you're reflecting Jesus, just continue to do that and continue to seek and sit in the presence of God. Because sometimes we might get a little bit busy to seek after God. Or sometimes we get a little bit wary of, man, I feel like I've been seeking after the same thing for so long, and I'm just not sure if it's going to happen. I've shared this before. I'm not going to go into everything, but, it, you know, I grew up in the Assemblies of God. I grew up knowing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that didn't happen for me until I was in the midst of Bible college. And so I went into Bible college not having that, not sure what was going to happen, all these experiences, and, like, feeling like back in middle school again, right, like, oh, I was less than, or I, I wasn't as good as somebody else. But the reality of it is, is, is Scripture just gives us the truth. Just like Jesus is for everybody, so is the Holy Spirit. So is baptism of the Holy Spirit. So something that you don't have to be in fear of or feel like it's always just weighing over my head because I'm lacking whatever it is. Like, just continue to seek after Jesus. Just continue to reflect him. Seek unity. Seek community in your life. The Holy Spirit's going to move. Because it's not about you. It's about him, right? This isn't falling. These things aren't happening in the book of Acts because it's all about the people. They're awesome now. It's about Jesus. It was about bringing the unity that could only happen through the Holy Spirit falling so that everybody would have this opportunity to know about Jesus. That kind of includes my friend Joe that I was talking to you about earlier. Right? That somebody from the popular, like he had this reputation like the Gentiles had that they were like, Oh, yeah, they're this, they're this, they're that. Kind of like I thought about him. Like I said, I never talked to him, never had a conversation, but somebody I would have expected was kind of a bully, kind of pushed his way to the top, kind of used his, his look and his charm to kind of get ahead. Somebody that I would have been like, I, I don't ever really care to meet. I don't care to really have a conversation. I'm definitely not worried about telling him about Jesus. It's funny how I'm wrong a lot of the times. It's funny when I get in the way of reflecting Jesus how wrong I am. 100% of the time. And so about 10th grade, uh, I have a class with, with this guy, with Joe. And uh, we just happen to be sitting at the same table. We kind of get to know each other, start talking. You know what I realized? It's actually a really nice guy. It was weird, kind of. Like, so crazy nice. I was like, this is crazy. 
I'm like, why do people say the things that they say about him? Because he's a really nice dude. Maybe he is deserving and worthy of this popular title that he's gotten. And I finally, at one point, I felt like I just had to tell him. I was like, I was like, I gotta be honest, man. I didn't expect you to be so nice. I, I didn't, I didn't expect this to turn into like a real friendship. And he kind of smiled and he looked at me and he's like, yeah, it's because of what people say about me. I said, oh, you know. I said, yeah, because you have this reputation. He's like, this reputation of kind of being mean and all these things. And he's like, yeah, that's not me. That's what people say about me. But when people meet me, they know that's not what I'm about. It was kind of a freeing thing because if you guys remember, when you're at that age, your reputation is like everything. What people say about you, what they think about you, that carries so much weight at that age. And if we're honest, as adults, it does too. To where sometimes we get hit with these labels or we hit other people with labels that either we'll never be able to shake, we feel like we can never shake, or we feel like we're never going to change our mind about somebody else. In that moment, Jesus opened my eyes and it, I, it changed my view on somebody else. You know what's interesting? You guys know what Joe does today for a living? He's a pastor. He's a pastor. He spends his life pouring into other people and telling them about Jesus. Somebody whose reputation in school wouldn't have said so. And yet everybody that knew him realized that reputation is not true. That probably by the time we were graduating, that it's shifted because so many people probably actually met him, actually had a conversation with him, actually got to know him, and they realized, oh my goodness, we were wrong. My challenge for you this morning, if you're a Christ follower, who are those people in your life? Who are those people that God has placed in your life that you're like, anybody but them, God? Anybody but them. I know I'm supposed to reflect you. I know I'm supposed to tell people about you, but I don't really want to do that to them. Like, send somebody else to them. Who's that look like? Because you might be the only Jesus in their life. You might be. You might be the only person that can reflect Jesus to them where they're at. Even if you're not, we're called to be a reflection of him when we're Christ followers. It's simple. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I know we all have people. I know we do. I know as usually as we get older, hopefully we get a little bit better. But I can be cynical at times and judgmental like anybody else. It's a weird thing where I normally don't make a good first impression, but I feel like it's really hard for people to make a good first impression with me. And maybe you're in some of that realm or whatever it is, and maybe it is somebody who, maybe they aren't super nice. Maybe they are a jerk. Maybe they are somebody that are like, I don't care about Jesus or the church or any of that stuff. But don't respond like I did back in high school and say, well, that's dumb, because that's not going to solve anything. All you just respond is in grace, love, and truth when you get to that point. But if you build up that relationship with people, if you love them like Jesus loves, you'll be an exact reflection of who he is. And that's the way to spread the good news, especially in today's culture. You guys know what the culture looks like here. Most people aren't sitting in here on Sunday morning or sitting in another church. They're at home. And sometimes a lot of that reason is because of people in their lives who call themselves Christians or Christ followers did not reflect that, did not show that. But we have the opportunity to do that each and every single day, not just when you're in church, when you're at work, when you're at school, wherever it is that life takes you. Man, would we wake up in the morning and prayer at night, whatever, and just say, Jesus, would you make me a reflection of you? Would you help me to actually look like you to other people? That when they see me, they're not seeing all my accomplishments or how great I am or whatever it is, but they're seeing who you are. 
that, man, we would reflect Jesus so much that at some point somebody would come up to you in a relationship and say, you're different than other people. Why is that? And you get that special moment to tell them about Jesus. Because it's not because you're so awesome. It's because the God in you is so awesome. Amen. If we could stand together this morning. I just have two things for us to focus on as we get ready to close. Of course, number one, when we're talking about Jesus spreading to people that had never heard his name before. Or who were aware of him but didn't think that Jesus was for them. If either one of those fits you this morning, you have an awesome opportunity where you are to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He makes himself easy to come to. Regardless of your background or where you've been or what you've done, accepting Jesus is for everybody. He's not going to force it on you. It's your choice. But all we have to do is, is pray to him, speak to him, say, Jesus, I love you. I believe that you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and help me to live the rest of my life for you. That's something that you can do this morning, right during this worship song. You just talk to God. You can do that right now. You can tune me out and have a conversation with Jesus. The second thing is this. We talked about baptism of the Holy Spirit. We talked about speaking in tongues. And I don't know your background or where you're at. But the reality of that is that is for everybody as well. The Holy Spirit baptism is for anybody. It brings about a unity. It brings about community. And it brings about a power that only the Holy Spirit can give. Simply put... It's just more of God, which is always a good thing. So if that's you, just, just pray this morning. Would you just speak to God, whether you need to come up front towards the altar. We call it that because the altar in the Bible is a special meeting place where the presence of God is. If you do that right where you're seated. But don't allow maybe distractions or, or other things. Would you just allow yourself to linger if you need to linger. If God is speaking to you, don't rush out the doors when we're done. This place, the sanctuary is open for you to communicate with God. So, I, so do that. And if you're in here and maybe those first two things don't apply to you, that's okay. You can just have a great opportunity to worship God this morning. You have a great opportunity in his presence to set yourself up for the rest of the week, for him to speak to you, to speak through you, and maybe make your prayer this morning, God, help me to be a reflection of you. Help me to reach those Gentiles in my life, in your life, because that's what he's called us to do. You don't have to be this great speaker. You don't have to have the Bible memorized you're a Christ follower and you're going after him, that's all you need. He's enough. He won't fail. We sung that earlier. We said, if Jesus is your firm foundation, you, you don't have anything to worry about. It doesn't make life perfect, but that means that you won't fail either. He's the rock that cannot move and cannot be broken. That's the God that we serve. So as we worship this morning, whatever your focus needs to be, whatever it is that God is speaking to you, would you just allow yourself to take the time and to do that this morning?
If we could just keep the sanctuary and altar for those of you that need to slip out or would like to continue conversation, I ask that you would do that in the lobby or in the cafe, but please mingle and, and visit with others. But let's just keep an attitude of worship here in the sanctuary for those that want to continue in prayer. Again, if you filled out a Connect card, if you're visiting with us, please take that to the welcome desk. We'd love to know about your visit. And if you did accept Christ today, as Pastor Andrew led you, we would love to know about that as well. Fill out a Connect card. We have a booklet on what your next steps could be, and we would love to connect with you as well. So again, if you need to slip out, have a great week. Thank you for being here. We look forward to seeing you next Sunday. Have an awesome time.